Chapter thirty seven of Dread A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dread Chapter thirty seven The Tie Breaks. Clayton remained at Canama several days after the funeral he had been much affected by the last charge given him by nina that he should care for her people and the scene of distress which he witnessed among them at her death added to the strength of his desire to be of service to them he spent some time in looking over and arranging nina's papers he sealed up the letters of her different friends and directed them in order to be returned to the writers causing harry to add to each a memorandum of the time of her death his heart sunk heavily when he reflected how little it was possible for any one to do for servants left in the uncontrolled power of a man like tom gordon the awful words of his father's decision with regard to the power of the master never seemed so dreadful as now when he was to see this unlimited authority passed into the hands of one whose passions were his only law he recalled too what nina had said of the special bitterness existing between tom and harry and his heart almost failed him when he recollected that the very step which nina in her generosity had taken to save lisette from his lawlessness had been the means of placing her without remedy under his power under the circumstances he could not but admire the calmness and firmness with which harry still continued to discharge his duties to the estate visiting those who were still ailing and doing his best to prevent their sinking into a panic which might predispose to another attack of disease recollecting that nina had said something of some kind of a contract by which harry's freedom was to be secured in case of her death he resolved to speak with him on the subject as they were together in the library looking over the papers clayton said to him harry is there not some kind of contract or understanding with the guardians of the estate by which your liberty was secured in case of the death of your mistress yes said harry there is such a paper i was to have my freedom on paying a certain sum which is all paid into five hundred dollars i will advance you that money said clayton unhesitatingly if that is all that is necessary let me see the paper harry produced it and clayton looked it over it was a regular contract drawn in proper form and with no circumstance wanting to give it validity clayton however knew enough of the law which regulates the condition in which harry stood to know that it was of no more avail in this case than so much blank paper he did not like to speak of it but sat reading it over weighing every word and dreading the moment when he should be called upon to make some remark concerning it knowing as he did that what he had to say must dash all harry's hopes the hopes of his whole life while he was hesitating a servant entered and announced mr jekyll and that gentleman with a business-like directness which usually characterized his movements entered the library immediately after good morning mr clayton he said and then nodding patronizingly to harry 
He helped himself to a chair and stated his business, without further preamble. I have received orders from Mr. Gordon to come and take possession of the estate and chattels of his deceased sister without delay. As Clayton sat perfectly silent, it seemed to occur to Mr. Jekyll that a few moral reflections of a general nature would be an etiquette on the present occasion. He therefore added, in the tone of voice which he reserved particularly for that style of remark, we have been called upon to pass through most solemn and afflicting dispensations of divine providence lately mr clayton these things remind us of the shortness of life and of the necessity of preparation for death mr jekyll paused and as clayton still sat silent he went on there was no will i presume no said clayton there was not ah so i supposed said Mr. Jekyll, who had now recovered his worldly tone. In that case, of course, the whole property reverts to the heir at law, just as I had imagined. Perhaps Mr. Jekyll would look at this paper, said Harry, taking his contract from the hand of Mr. Clayton and passing it to Mr. Jekyll, who took out his spectacles, placed them deliberately on his sharp nose, and read the paper through. Were you under the impression, said he to Harry, that this is a legal document certainly said harry i can bring witnesses to prove mr john gordon's signature and miss nina's also oh that's all evident enough said mr jekyll i know mr john gordon's signature but all the signatures in the world couldn't make it a valid contract you see my boy he said turning to harry a slave not being a person in the eye of the law cannot have a contract made with him. The law, which is based on the old Roman code, holds him pro nullis pro mortuis, which means, Harry, that he's held as nothing, as dead, inert substance. That's his position in law. I believe, said Harry in a strong and bitter tone, that is what religious people call a Christian institution. Hey, said Mr. Jekyll, elevating his eyebrows. What's that? Harry repeated his remark, and Mr. Jekyll replied in the most literal manner. Of course it is. It is a divine ordering, and ought to be met in a proper spirit. There is no use, my boy, in rebellion. Hath not the potter power over the clay to make one lump to honor and the other to dishonor? Mr. Jekyll, I think it would be expedient to confine the conversation simply to legal matters. Also that none of the hands shall, at any time, leave the plantation until he arrives. I brought two or three officers with me, in case there should be any necessity for enforcing order. When will Mr. Gordon be here? said Clayton. Tomorrow, I believe, said Mr. Jekyll. Young man, he added, turning to Harry, you can produce the papers and books, and I can be attending to the accounts. Clayton rose and left the room, leaving Harry with the imperturbable Mr. Jekyll, who plunged briskly into the business of the accounts, talking to harry with as much freedom and composure as if he had not just been destroying the hopes of his whole lifetime if by any kind of inward clairvoyance 
or sudden clearing of his mental vision mr jekyll could have been made to appreciate the anguish which at that moment overwhelmed the soul of the man with whom he was dealing we deem it quite possible that he might have been moved to a transient emotion of pity even a thorough-paced political economist may sometimes be surprised in this way by the near view of a case of actual irremediable distress but he would soon have consoled himself by a species of mental algebra that the greatest good of the greatest number was nevertheless secure therefore there was no occasion to be troubled about infinitesimal amounts of suffering in this way people can reason away every kind of distress but their own for it is very remarkable that even so slight an ailment as a moderate toothache will put this kind of philosophy entirely to rout it appears to me said mr jekyll looking at harry after a while with more attention than he had yet given him that something is the matter with you this morning aren't you well in body said harry i am well well what is the matter then said mr jekyll the matter is said harry that i have all my life been toiling for my liberty and thought i was coming nearer to it every year and now at thirty-five years of age i find myself still a slave with no hope of getting free mr jekyll perceived from the outside that there was something the matter inside of his human brother some unknown quantity in the way of suffering such as his algebra gave no rule for ascertaining he had a confused notion that this was an affliction and that when people were in affliction they must be talked to and he proceeded accordingly to talk my boy this is a dispensation of divine providence i call it a dispensation of human tyranny said harry it pleased the lord continued mr jekyll to foredoom the race of ham mr jekyll that humbug don't go down with me i'm no more of the race of ham than you are i'm colonel gordon's oldest son as white as my brother who you say owns me look at my eyes and my hair and say if any of the rules about ham pertain to me well said mr jekyll my boy you mustn't get excited everything must go you know by general rules we must take that course which secures the greatest general amount of good on the whole and all such rules will work hard in particular cases slavery is a great missionary enterprise for civilizing and christianizing the degraded african wait till you see tom gordon's management on this plantation said harry and you'll see what sort of a christianizing institution it is mr jekyll you know better you throw such talk as that in the face of your northern visitors and you know all the while that sodom and gomorrah don't equal some of these plantations where nobody isn't anybody's husband or wife in particular you know all these things and you dare talk to me about a missionary institution what sort of missionary institutions are the great trading marts where they sell men and women what are the means of grace they use there and the dogs and the negro hunters those are for the greatest good too if your soul were in our soul's stead you'd see things differently mr jekyll was astonished and said so but he found a difficulty in presenting his favorite view of the case under the circumstances and we believe those ministers of the gospel and elders who entertained similar doctrines 
would gain some new views by the effort to present them to a live man in harry's circumstances mr jekyll never had a more realizing sense of the difference between the abstract and concrete harry was now thoroughly roused he had inherited the violent and fiery passions of his father his usual appearance of studied calmness and his habits of deference he was now wholly desperate and reckless he saw himself already delivered bound hand and foot into the hands of a master from whom he could expect neither mercy nor justice he was like one who had hung suspended over an abyss by grasping a wild rose the frail and beautiful thing was broken and he felt himself going with only despair beneath him he rose and stood the other side of the table his hands trembling with excitement mr jekyll he said it is all over with me twenty years of faithful service have gone for nothing myself and wife and unborn child are the slaves of a vile wretch hush now i will have my say for once i've borne and borne and borne and it shall come out you men who call yourselves religious and stand up for such tyranny you serpents you generation of vipers how can you escape the damnation of hell you keep the clothes of them who stone stephen you encourage theft and robbery and adultery and you know it you are worse than the villains themselves who don't pretend to justify what they do now go tell tom gordon go i shall fight it out to the last i've nothing to hope and nothing to lose let him look out they made sport of Samson. They put out his eyes, but he pulled down the temple over their heads. After all, look out. There is something awful in an outburst of violent passion. The veins in Harry's forehead were swollen. His lips were livid. His eyes glittered like lightning, and Mr. Jekyll cowered before him. There will come a day, said Harry, when all this shall be visited upon you. The measure you have filled to us shall be filled to you double mark my words harry spoke so loudly in his vehemence that clayton overheard him and came behind him silently into the room he was pained shocked and astonished and obeying the first instinct he came forward and laid his hand entreatingly on harry's shoulder my good fellow you don't know what you are saying he said yes i do said harry and my words will be true another witness had come behind clayton tom gordon in his travelling dress with pistols at his belt he had ridden over after jekyll and had arrived in time to hear part of harry's frantic ravings stop he said stepping into the middle of the room leave that fellow to me now boy he said fixing his dark and evil eye upon harry you didn't know that your master was hearing you did you the last time we met you told me i wasn't your master now we'll see if you'll say that again you went whimpering to your mistress and got her to buy lisette so as to keep her out of my way now who owns her say do you see this he said holding up a long lithe gutta percha cane this is what i whip dogs with when they don't know their place now sir down on your knees 
and ask pardon for your impudence, or I'll thresh you within an inch of your life. I won't kneel to my younger brother, said Harry. With a tremendous oath, Tom struck him, and, as if a rebound from the stroke, Harry struck back a blow so violent as to send him stumbling across the room, against the opposite wall, then turned, quick as thought, sprang through the open window, climbed down the veranda, vaulted onto Tom's horse, which stood tied at the post, and fled as rapidly as lightning to his cottage door, where Lisette stood at the ironing table. He reached out his hand, and said, Up, quick, Lisette, Tom Gordon's here, and before Tom Gordon had fairly recovered from the dizziness into which the blow had thrown him, the fleet blood horse was whirling Harry and Lisette past bush and tree, till they arrived at the place where he had twice before met Dread. Dread was standing there. Even so, he said, as the horse stopped, and Harry and Lisette descended, the vision is fulfilled. Behold, the Lord shall make thee a witness and commander to the people. There's no time to be lost, said Harry. Well, I know that, said Dread. Come, follow me. And before sunset of that evening, Harry and Lizette were tenants of the wild fastness in the center of the swamp. End of chapter 37 The Tie Breaks